0: Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Good morning, everybody. It is great to have all of you here this morning. I'm so excited about this morning's worship service. We're wrapping up our our current series, Back to the Future Church. And let me just quickly walk you through where we've been in this. What we did is we went back into the ancient church and we we looked at it and we said, What can we draw down from the church of 2,000 years ago? how god was at work in the jerusalem congregation in the book of acts for example and and several other congregations that we looked at during this series and, and what were the things that god was doing and how was he doing them back then and we've we've talked about outreach i think you'll remember that pastor phil came in and he gave us an outstanding message from the scriptures on how Christ's church is a church that reaches out to other people not only its own community but Christ gave us the Great Commission. The entire world needs to hear the the gospel of Jesus Christ and about their forgiveness of sins. We talked about the importance of fellowship, coming together as a team and having one another's back, and how God has drawn us together into a family, a true family, the best kind of family, God's family. We're all His children. We talked about growing and developing as a congregation together, digging deeper into the Bible. And strengthening our faith, growing deep roots into the word of God so that we can really lean on God's promises. We'll come back to that point a little bit as we talk about worship today. And we talked about serving. We talked about how important it is for us to keep on remembering that you and me, we are God's hands and feet we're Christ's eyes and ears in the world around us. And, and God has called us to love not only one another, but all the people that he's placed around us. And today we really come to the core of what the church is all about. And that's why we've saved this message for last, because really what all these other four things that I just mentioned come from is from a church that worships. A church that worships God, even though there's a lot of stuff going on in our lives. A great quote that I uh, heard in, um, in researching this message is that the greatest barriers to worship, and I, and I made a list of them, what do you think they are? Noise? Do we have a lot of noise in our world today? Is it hard for you to find some peace and quiet once in a while? Crowds, seems like we're always surrounded nowadays, doesn't it? What about this one? Hurry. And then the last one, pain. Going through hard times in your life. It, it is hard to worship when you're surrounded by noise and hurry and crowds and pain. And that's our world nowadays. So how can we bring worship back? And truly put it in its rightful place, which is really fulfilling the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods, which Luther gave a beautiful explanation of when he said this means that we should fear and love and trust in God above all things. How do we get that back so that we're truly worshiping God, not only on a Sunday morning, which we're going to talk a lot about this morning, but throughout every day of our life. Well, let's take a look at Psalm 34. That's what we're going to be looking at. Reach inside your program and you'll pull out a white half sheet called the crosswalk notes on it. You'll see our theme for today. And really the question that we're asking is, how can we get to a point where worship is life? Where really every step that we take, every word that we speak is living and breathing God. And Psalm 34 talks about that, a psalm written by David. And it's a beautiful psalm. In fact, I'll share a little secret with you. These same verses are the verses that were used in Julie's and my wedding as our wedding text. And I love it because it's really about worship, but it's also, as you'll see, about worshiping God together. Psalm 34, 1 to 3. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I don't know how many of you caught this story. Yesterday's paper. Teens grieving family deserves answers about an incident that happened one mile to the west of our church. There's not much to mark the spot where Francisco Elias died, just two candles sitting beneath the streetlight as traffic whizzes by, not even slowing at the place where he left this earth. Not even realizing, probably, out here on 35th Avenue and beyond, the world moves quickly on, and it certainly does. Two blocks away, however, a grieving Levine family struggles to understand how someone could shove a boy into traffic. How a driver could then hit the boy and continue on, and then another and continue on, and still a third before anyone bothered to stop. Too late by then to save the youngest son of Maria Elena Nino and Raymond Ricardo Elias Gonzalez. On Thursday evening, family and close friends huddled in groups around the Elias family's front yard on nearby LaSalle Street as they did on Sunday when Francisco turned 15. Last Saturday, his 15-year birthday. He was the kind of boy any family would love to have. We live in a world, and we live in a community, that so needs a group of people to come together and bring glory to God. Because when God is glorified in a church and in a community, people's lives get changed. People's minds get changed. And people's hearts get changed. It is an amazing thing to think about that story and then realize if more people knew god if more people knew jesus as their savior maybe that boy would never have been shoved by a bunch of other teenagers into traffic maybe one of those first drivers would have stopped when he realized what would have happened and maybe just maybe that boy's life could have been saved and more importantly as we're going to discover today maybe a lot more people because they would know Jesus Christ, would not just have better lives here, but would set themselves up to be able to worship and honor and glorify God for eternity because they would know the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ won for them on the cross. A story like that tells me, and I hope it tells you, that there is a huge need for a church like Crosswalk. To be a worshiping church, a church that glorifies God in the midst of whatever's going on in this sin-filled world of ours. Because our God is the only answer and the only solution to what's going on out there. This morning what we're going to do is I'm, I'm going to take you through our Sunday morning worship service. Because what you may not realize is that our Sunday morning worship service is A pattern of worship that we follow, not simply because we want you to follow it on Sunday, but because it is a great template and a great model for how to live a life of worship every day, 24-7. But I want you to realize that worship is always going to be challenging to you. First of all, because we have enemies that don't want you to worship God. We have enemies that want you to doubt God and avoid God and be angry with God and frustrated with God and be afraid of God. The last thing Satan and sin and the sinful world around us want is for us to get down on our knees and make God first and make God great. So don't be surprised that worship is difficult. And before we dig down into the worship service and into the the elements of what worship really is all about, I want to tell you a story because it's not just that worship is challenging due to the fact that we're living in a sinful world. It's also challenging because of all those other things that I mentioned, the crowds and the noise and the hurry. And I have a friend, Professor Mark Paustian, who wrote a book called Prepared to Answer. It's a great little book. We're going to be offering it on sale in the bookstore soon. And I'd encourage you to pick it up. It's just an outstanding book. In this book, he tells a story of when he was in college and he went to visit the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. And he said, Being in college, I was enthusiastic. I wanted to see so much in New York City. And I was proud and I thought I had set a world record. Why did I feel that? Because I went through the entire Metropolitan Museum of Art in two hours. I felt to myself, no one has ever covered the whole Metropolitan Museum of Art in two hours. And now, 25 years later, he says, what a dummy I was. Because I allowed myself to be rushed through that museum to the point where I never really stood in front of any of those pieces of art and truly appreciated them and saw what was in them. And he dreams in this story of what would it be like if I had a tour guide today? Someone who really, really pauses and pushes away the noise and the crowds and the hurry and said, look at this painting, Mark. What pain that artist must have been experiencing when they painted this picture and mark mark come over here look look at this one will you see that sculpture do you you see the expression what what amazing joy and happiness this sculptor must have been having as he as he carefully carved the sculpture with his own hands And he says, if I were to go back today, I'd understand, I think, a little bit better about what worship is. And that why a person can appreciate art is the same person a person can appreciate God. But it's only by pushing stuff back, the noise and the crowds and the rushing around that we get the chance to pause and look and see what God is really in his love and grace doing in our world. Listen to just one paragraph from the book. The plain truth is that God is the ultimate artist to admire and enjoy. And for these actions, we were made. If we complain that God wants us to praise him, and you might as well complain that God wants to fulfill us, we make and make our lives worthwhile and fill us with the one thing that fits the peculiar empty shape in our souls. That's what he wants to do. Fill us with that one thing himself. The appropriate human response to God's work is to fall on our faces in worship. The biblical prophets and psalmists don't praise The way they do, whom have I in heaven, but you and earth has nothing I desire besides you. They don't praise that way because they're supposed to, of all things. They praise simply because they see. But of course, to be able to see, we have to push back the crowds and the noise and the hurry. They worship because God has revealed something of himself not to praise is to lose the greatest experience to miss out on life's purpose and to to forfeit the only thing that makes any sense and that's why this message is so important for us today i don't want this to be a church and i know you don't want crosswalk to be a congregation that misses out on the one thing that truly makes any sense in this nonsensical world of ours, where a boy can be pushed into a street by a group of teenagers. So I'm calling all of us today to dig deep and learn what worship is all about and make a commitment to be a God-honoring, worshiping church in this Dark community, spoiled by sin, so that we can be a beacon of light and love to people. Let's dig into the crosswalk notes. What is worship? Well, take a look at those verbs in Psalm 34, 1 to 3. Circle the word extol. Circle the word boast. Boast. Circle the words hear and rejoice. Circle the word glorify and circle the word praise. Do you get a sense of what worship is if you uh, if you look at those words? Do you understand that to worship God is to praise Him with great enthusiasm and admiration? you see that God literally wants us to boast in him? And you know what boasting is? The dictionary says it's to talk immodestly about something. God wants you to talk about him immodestly, without fear, to proclaim his name. To glorify, the dictionary says, is to cause something to be more, more pleasant, more important, or more desirable than we normally think of it as being. The word that I love the best actually comes from the Hebrew in the last verse. It simply means to make something big or make something great or, in short, to magnify something. And that's really what we're going to talk about is how do we make God big in our lives? How do we magnify him to the point where he begins and his love and grace and forgiveness begin to crowd out the pain in our hearts? The guilt and the shame that we feel because of our sin. And what we've been talking about, the noise and the hurry and the crowds in our lives. How do we get to that point where we make God so big and so great that every moment of every day is worshiping God? So worship is to magnify God. And if I were to, to just put one thing in your mind today is remember that point as you go about coming to church on Sundays. And as you go about leaving church and going out into your life, ask yourself this simple question. How am I going to magnify God today? How am I going to make him great? And I'm going to give you seven habits or seven ways. If I were to write a book, I might call this The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Worshipers. And I think just by seeing these, you'll see exactly why on Sunday morning you come and you worship the way, we, the way you do, the way we do. Now, how does a worship service usually start? A little cup of coffee in your hand. Picture yourself wandering into the auditorium and you're looking around. Where do I want to sit to today? And what's the very first thing that happens? The crosswalk band comes up, right? Jonathan says in a hearty voice. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to worship at Crosswalk this morning. Let's stand up and sing and praise God. The very first thing we do to worship God, as we already defined it, is I worship God by praising him. Now, we're going to go back, and I'll come back to that point. But take a look at Psalm 113. Let the name of the Lord be praised. Circle that word both now and forevermore from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted. He's lifted high over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. I love this question. Who is like our God? The one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. Let me pick just a few points out of this passage for you. When are we supposed to be praising God? Now and forevermore. So write the little word when question mark next to those words. And where are we supposed to be praising God? From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. That's where. And notice what it says. He is so beyond us. It's impossible to think. You know what the theologians call that? They call it God's transcendence. He is wholly other than us. Truly, we can hardly grasp how great God is. He is transcendent. And yet, look at what it says. God's transcendence is in what the theologians call his imminence, his nearbyness his closeness to us. What does it say? Who is like the Lord, our God who sits enthroned on high. He's so far up there, but what does he also do? He stoops down and gets on our level so that he can clearly see what's going on in his heavens and on the earth that he created for his people. What an amazing God you and I have. That is so other than us and yet is so close to us that he calls us his our father calls himself our father and says, here's how I want you to address me. Call me Abba Papa. That's an amazing God. So whether you eat, it says in first Corinthians 1031 or drink. Or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You know what that tells you? It tells you that while praise is worship, it's not reserved for the first thing you do in an hour on Sunday. It tells you that 24-7, whatever you're doing, eating, drinking, you can do it all to the glory of God. And this is one of the very reasons our worship service is set up the way that it is to remind us that our entire life, first and foremost, is about praising God. So that's our first point. I worship God by praising him. Now, this is the next thing is something that happens intermittently throughout our worship service and is critically important, not only in the worship service, but also in our daily life. And it's something that David mentions. I don't know if you caught the title to Psalm 34, because I didn't read it. But if you have your Bible open to Psalm 34, this is what the title says. Of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. What he's saying is these words have a context. They have, uh, there was an event that provoked David to write this poem. And it's kind of a, an interesting story. David had been King Saul, the King of Israel's top guy. I mean, he was the soldier that everyone looked to remember the story of David and Goliath. And you'll know why. In fact, David got to be so renowned and such a right-hand man to the king that Saul would call him in when he was upset. And David also had this skill with a stringed instrument. And and David would come in and speak soothing words and then play his instrument. And he, he got to be Saul's counselor. And in addition to that, he got to be Saul's son, Jonathan's very best friend. In fact, Jonathan and Saul got to be so close that in the end, Jonathan betrayed his own father Saul to make sure that David escaped when Saul became angry and turned on David. And this psalm that we read, Psalm 34, is about the time just after Saul got so angry with David that he was going to kill him. And so David took off, not wanting to dishonor the king. He took off and he booked it out of there. And he landed in a city, Gath, which was actually one of the five major cities of Israel's enemies. And in that city, when they saw that David was there and they knew that he had killed Goliath. Remember, Goliath was a Philistine. They began to say, isn't this guy the guy that they're singing over there about in Israel. And do you remember that song? Saul has killed his thousands, they sing. But David, this guy, has killed his tens of thousands. And now we're going to give him refuge when he's sung about as having killed tens of thousands of us? Not going to happen. So you know what David does? He gets so scared for his life that he pretends to be insane. He lets drool run down his beard. He goes to the city gate and he starts clawing on it so hard that he leaves marks in the city gate. Finally, the king of Gath says enough, <laughs> enough of this, and he drives David out. And David ends up living in a cave. Some of you are going through times that make you feel like you're going insane. (laughs) I know this. Some of you are going through such difficult times that you're wondering, will I be living in a cave next? And I want you to look at David's words. Because in David's words, he said, when I was going through all of that, I, I had my own little plan of pretending to be insane, but that was in my weak moment. In my strong moment, I knew what to do. I'm a sinner, David knew, and he always admitted. And in his sin, sometimes he didn't trust God enough. And so he came up with these weird ideas of pretending to be insane. But he was also a saint filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit was in control of his heart, he says, I called on the Lord and the Lord heard my prayer. Whatever you're going through, be like David. Put it to God in prayer and don't let the pain get in the way of your worship. Take it to God and know that he will take care of you. Your worries and hurts and suffering and pain don't have to drive you insane. Take take it to God and put it in his lap. Notice what, uh, what it says in the crosswalk notes. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And then underline this. This is good, God says, when you pray. It's good when you pray. And it pleases God, your Savior. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says, Be joyful always. And then underline these two words. Pray continually. And give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And in Psalm 34, verse 4, right after what we read, David says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. The second way we worship God is by praying. There's a third way. And you notice we do this each and every Sunday. We haven't done it yet. And we usually have by this point. Do you know what it is? Each and every Sunday, we take a few moments to get real with God and to allow him to get real with us and to tell us authentically from his heart what he wants from us. And you know what it is? Jesus told us what it is. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now hear those words. God wants you to be perfect. Not just any old kind of perfect, but as perfect as God the Father is perfect. Pretty high bar, isn't it? And when I measure myself against that bar, and I'm wagering when you measure yourself against that bar, you come up far, far short. So do I. And so each and every week, we get down on our knees, maybe not literally, but figuratively. Before God, and we tell Him this is the truth, God, authentically, transparently, we have sinned because we are sinners. And I I told you a week or two ago, I said, This is a church for sinners. It's not a church for the people that come and say, You know what? I got nothing to give to God when confession time comes up. This is a church for people whom God has moved to truly see, I got stuff, I got stuff that I need to put at the foot of the cross and hear from Jesus that he has forgiven me. Take a look at what the passages say and look at what benefits come from humbling ourselves. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. And in Proverbs, it says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, those are amazing words of promise. You and I, we worship God when we confess our sins. And the reason that we haven't done it in the service yet is because we're going to do it in the service right now. Will you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we were born in sin, conceived in it, sin that we inherited from our parents, sin that goes all the way back in an unbroken line to Adam and Eve when they rebelled against you in the Garden of Eden. And took the fruit from that tree, the the knowledge of good and evil. Lord, every day, we break your commandments. We miss the mark. We fall short. We cross the line with you. And we know that this hurts your heart. We know that it angers you. We know that really all we deserve from you is your anger and your punishment. That's what we deserve, and we know this. And yet, Lord, you are an amazing God who cares about justice and holiness so much that you call us to be perfect. And yet, you're right here stooping down to be with us, sending your son Jesus into the world to take the punishment and the anger that we deserved And trade it out for mercy and grace and forgiveness. And that's what you give us. Because you love us so much, even while we are still sinners. Lord God, Heavenly Father, forgive us. Cleanse us. Create in us a clean heart. And we know you've done that already because your son died for us. And you, Father, raised him from the grave to show that you have truly forgiven us. We ask your forgiveness, and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a moment and just reflect on that as the band plays a song, and then I'll come back and finish out the message. You know that also every week after we confess our sins, there's something that, again, the theologians call absolution. And what that is is simply an announcement that the forgiveness belongs to you. And it does. You are forgiven. You're a dearly loved child of God. You want proof of that? Look at what it says in 1 John 1.9. Let's read it together. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that leads us to the second type of of confessing that we do in worship. You know what that is? There's two types of confessing. There's confessing our sins. You know what the second one is? Confessing our faith, what you just did. You confess that you believe that when... You take your sins to to Jesus at the cross. They are forgiven. And that you are a dearly loved child of God. Flip the page over. Notice what Paul wrote to the Romans. That if you confess with your mouth, not sins, but that you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's confessing your faith. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you, circle that word, confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Crosswalk is a confessional church. And what that means is that we love to take the truths of the Bible and tell them to others and be very upfront and say, This is what the Bible says, and this is where we stand. I believe that Jesus is Lord, and all the other truths of the Bible that go along with that, that's what it means to be a confessing church, a church that confesses its sins, yes, but also a church that stands right here. No more, no less, no adding, no subtracting. We stand where the Bible stands. And that's what true worship is. You know what Jesus said? The kind of worshipers the father seeks, he tells the woman at the well in Samaria, are those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what we do when we confess truth from God's word. It's why we have a message every Sunday so that we can hear directly from God in the Bible and learn more about what he has to say to us, both law, what his rules and regulations are, and also gospel, how we're forgiven. So a worshiping church, a worshiping person, is someone who worships God by confessing his faith. Point number five. Once you hear those doesn't end there because those words can if we're not careful go in one ear and out the other the words of god the words of jesus are meant to be drawn into our hearts and rested on and become a foundation for our lives it's supposed to be a a foundation that we can stand on and cling to We can put our hearts and our minds right there and know that what God says is really true. You know, our tagline at Crosswalk is live the adventure. And I believe this point is about that tagline. Do you ever have times in your life where you go, man, the circumstances do not look very favorable right now. And yet in the face of those unfavorable circumstances in your life, you say, but God put me here, right here, right now, for this time, this place. And he's called me to be faithful. And to walk on his promises. Now, it gets a little nerve wracking sometimes to walk on promises. Have you ever tried it? Especially when circumstances are shouting and screaming in your ear. Don't do it. It's too risky. And yet you go back and you read that promise. Maybe the one that says I'm with you always. Or the one that says all things work together for good for those who love God. Or the promise that says my grace is sufficient for you. And you say to yourself, you know what? bag the circumstances i have something bigger and better than circumstances i have god's promises and i'm going to stop walking on the circumstances and start working and walking on the promises i'm going to stop living by fear and start living by faith and that's our That's our fifth point about worship. I worship God by clinging to his promises as I walk through life. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. This is Joshua after they've entered and conquered the promised land where there were all kinds of enemies and opposition and circumstances. And at the end of his life, Joshua looks back and he says, not one of those promises failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Psalm 106 says, then they believed his promises and sang his praise. I worship God by clinging to his promises. After the message where we get to hear those beautiful promises every week, comes a little point in the service called the offering. And part of worship is the offering. Part of how we worship God, not only on Sunday morning, but also every day 24 7, because God has given you talents and abilities. God has given you The minutes and the hours and the days and the months that you enjoy in your life. He says that he has actually numbered your days for you. And God has given you wealth. He's given you your bank accounts and your home and your car and your clothes and your food. And he says a portion of what I've given you is mine. And quite literally, if you don't give me back My portion of your talents and your time and your treasures, you're stealing from me. Any of you ever steal from your mom? Ever go in and uh, she didn't know about it and you reached into her purse and took 10 bucks out? And then she caught you? And how did you feel? When you stole, not just from anyone, but from your own mother, you stole. I did it. I'll admit it. And I felt horrible when she confronted me. And God, your father says, when you don't return to him, you are stealing. From your own father, the one who gave everything to you that you possess. And that same God, don't forget, is the loving God who, when we confess those things to him, says to us, you are forgiven. I love you. And I will never stop loving you. It's why I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for you. And so reset, or in biblical language, repent. Reset, change your mind, get on track, and just show how much you love me. Be grateful with your talents and your time and your treasures. Take a look at what God says. He who sacrifices, thank offerings, honors me. And he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. Wow, that's pretty interesting. That our offerings literally prepare the way for God to show us his salvation? Hmm. Psalm 107. Let them give, circle that next word, thanks, because that's what our offerings of time, talent, and treasure are really all about. It's just simply saying, God, you love me so much. You sacrifice so much for me. I want my whole life just to be saying thanks to you. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice, thank offerings, and tell of his works with songs of joy. I'm not going to go into all the details of the tithe and not the tithe and all that this morning. We don't have time. Let me encourage you, Financial Peace University, 301 class. Really, 301 class is about all these aspects of worship that we're going through today. If you haven't been there yet, one of the things that you could do practically out of this message today is sign up and get enrolled in 301 class. Let's go to the last point, finish up. In Deuteronomy the Bible says teach them to your children talking about them when you underline this sit at home and when you underline this walk along the road when you lie down underline that and when you get up Who is wise Hosea writes he will realize these things who is discerning he will understand them the ways of the Lord are right the righteous Walk in them. But the rebellious stumble in them. What's the last thing that happens on a Sunday morning? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor. and Give you peace. You know what I'm saying with those words? Go with a Blessing. Because as you walk, I want you to walk in God's promises and worship not just an hour on Sunday, or in crosswalk case, an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday, but every day 24 7 is worship. Walk in God's promises, walk in God's blessing. When you're on the road, when you lie down, when you get up, if you're wise, God says you will realize these things that God's promises are not just something for here. There's something for here and here and here and here and here. Walk in them, God says. Walk in the comforting shadow of the cross. That's why it's called crosswalk. Every day you're walking in the shadow of Jesus' mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And you're stepping out on those promises. Live and breathe God. I hope when you come here on Sunday morning, now that you've learned what the seven habits of highly effective worshipers are, you're more prepared to literally live and breathe God for an hour and 15 minutes every Sunday. But I pray even more that as you think about your Sunday pattern... It becomes truly a pattern, a model, a template for you to worship God 24-7 and say, now, how do I do that on Sunday again? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm ready to lay my head down on my pillow. Oh, let's confess our sins today before we go to sleep and say a prayer to God. And it becomes literally something where worship spreads its tentacles through every aspect of your life. And you are living and breathing God. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you so much that you give us so many ways, at least, at least seven different ways in which we can make you great in our lives. In which we can glorify and honor and praise you. Lord, help us to fix these seven habits, these seven ways that we can worship you in our minds. And thank you for a worship service that helps us to do that. Now help us to draw down, Lord, that worship service and make it something, a set of things that we do every day in our life. Lord, we, we again repent before we leave this message and say to you, we have not always done this. We have fallen far short. But out of gratitude for your grace and forgiveness, for your son Jesus, for for the eternal life that he gives us as a free gift now, Lord, motivate our hearts to live a life of gratitude and worship as we walk along the road, as we lie down, and as we get up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.